He answered, You. Then he mustered the servants of the governors of the districts, and there were 232. And after them he mustered all the people of Israel, 7,000. And they went out at noon while Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the booths, he and the 32 kings who helped him. The servants of the governors of the districts went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out scouts, and they reported to him, men are coming from Samaria. He said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive, or if they have come out for war, take them alive. So these went out of the city, the servants of the governors of the districts and the army that followed them, and each struck down his man. The Syrians fled and Israel pursued them. But Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, escaped on a horse with horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots and struck the Syrians with a great blow. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Come strengthen yourself and consider well what you have to do. For in the spring the king of Syria will come up against you. And the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills, and so they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we shall be stronger than they. And do this, remove the kings, each from his post, and put commanders in their places. And muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. In the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went back went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went against them. The people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Syrians filled the country. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys, therefore I will give, you, give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord." And they encamped opposite one another seven days. Then on the seventh day, the battle was joined. And the people of Israel struck down the Syrians, 100,000 foot soldiers, in one day. And the rest fled into the city of Aphek. And the wall fell upon 27,000 men who were left. Ben-Hadad also fled and entered an inner chamber in the city. This is God's word. morning once again i'm howard brown the pastor here at christ central church and as we continue in the book of kings last week we saw how the grace of god covered and kept a depleted depressed and faith-worn prophet elijah this week one of the bad guys or one we would consider on the bad side from the last two chapters king ahab becomes the protagonist or the good guy this week, sort of, basically. I don't know whether you remember, but King Ahab at this point is the current king of Israel, the northern kingdom, who wimped out and gave in to worshiping the gods of his strong-willed evil queen, Jezebel. So turned and twisted and confused in his leadership of his people, a people who were called to worship the one true God of the Bible, Ahab turns out to be a flipped out and flaky kind of leader. He is caught in between his fear of losing his place as king, losing the kingdom he's over, and angering the queen he's married to. His problem is like a lot of us here. We may be called by God, whether we want to accept it or not, 
to do some things and be something and have God do some things through and in us, but we are limited by our personal issues or personal histories and shortcomings. And at the same time, the world and all the decisions and impossibilities we face keep on coming. In this case, what we read this morning for King Ahab, that impossibility, that decision, that issue is King Hadad, king of Syria, who has surrounded Samaria, the royal city where Ahab lived. Ben-Hadad boasts a huge army and even bigger ego and ambition to conquer. Ben-Hadad has already, this is not in your reading, but before we get to where your reading picks up, Ben-Hadad has already bullied Ahab into agreeing to give, give over his silver and gold and best wives and children. And now he has asked to come in and just loot the place, which is too far. Now, just giving up your best wives and children, Ahab was willing to do that but not let him come into the kingdom and take what he wanted. That was even too far for Ahab. And like a nerd, if you will, who is pushed too far, he loses it and says in frustration in front of everybody without thinking it through, just pure adrenaline supplied emotion. He says to the bully Ben-Hadad, I've taken enough, meet me after school. So Ahab sets himself up on a one-way course to what is most likely a Syrian-sized beatdown. A scary pushover with more limitations than possibilities king versus the got everything they need to born, born to lead, born to rule, apparently unlimited resource, King Ben-Hadad on the other side. But contrary to what was seen, it was not Ben-Hadad who was unlimited, but rather the God who was with King Ahab and the people of God who was unlimited. Ahab and God's people discover that the Lord is limitless in what he can do and what he can do in and through the lives of his people. First, and here's your three points, first, because the Lord is not limited by our personal limitations. Secondly, because the Lord is not limited by the world's impressive power. And finally, because the Lord has limitless authority over our lives. The Lord is not limited by our personal limitations. He's not limited by the world's impressive power, but he has limitless authority over our lives. So you don't have it in your reading today, once again. But let me tell you what kind of history King Ahab and God's people are bringing into their dealings with Syria. This is, again, the same King Ahab who agreed to give up his best wives and children to King Ben-Hadad. And the same Ahab who was afraid before his own wife and queen and let her run him and her agenda through him on the kingdom. He's the same Ahab who wouldn't listen to God's voice from Elijah. But not only did Ahab have a spotty history, the people of Israel as a whole did too. These are the same people who were indecisive about who they were, are we the people God or not, indecisive about who they should worship, who were flaky in their identity and sense of worth, and they let the world use and abuse them, and they went. 
They have a history of going wherever the newest and greatest and most powerful thing was. They were political patsies. This is the same Israel in a petty civil war with their brothers and sisters in the south side of Israel. So, not only did they have and Israel coming with a personal and community history that said they had limited re, a limited resume to become the world beaters that, that God would ask them to be. They also had all sorts of shortcomings and flaws. Look with me at verse 13 in your reading today. It says, And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, the Lord is saying, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, by whom? He said, thus says the Lord, by the servants of the governors of the districts. Then he said, who shall begin the battle? And the prophet answered, you. Right? Then he mustered the servants of the governors of the districts, and they were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people of Israel, 7,000. There's only one way to describe Israel and King Ahab at this point. They ain't ready. Right? They ain't ready for the big time. When you read this passage just for itself, just that little bit, you would say they need to go back to D-League play, right? They need to be sent down to the minors because it looks like they're going to get a, major, a major blow, majorly blown out, right? Ahab's response reveals that guess what? Israel doesn't have a big enough standing army, special form, special force-trained army to take on the Syrians. Ahab doesn't have any Navy SEALs to send in first to weaken things. He just got some pitchfork-carrying, ashy-knuckles-strong-from-eating-cornbread kind of brothers, right? They just regular, right? Not regular, regular, right? How did James Brown say? They don't know kung fu, they know crazy. And that might be funny in a song. But when you are what would be considered an untrained military-wise, lacking numbers, 232, as a matter of fact, servants of the governors, it's no laughing matter. These are enlisted, drafted folk. They are short of being slaves, right? They, they don't even want to be there necessarily in battle. They were scrubs, not the professionals in professional battle, sent by a king who seemed to have no military mind or push to him. Look at his response to the prophet. Who shall begin the battle? The prophet should have said, I don't know, man, you make the big bucks. You should be able to make the big decision, decisions. You, right? What do you think this is, right? Ahab is not who you want leading your company or running your empire or even your small business. He needs to get an MBA or something. He lacks some team leadership qualities. He's not just undegreed. He don't have it, man. He's limited by his ability to keep his kingdom, his people on the level, much less take them to the next level, out from under oppression and into the freedom and prosperity God would have them to have. This room is filled with Ahab types and servant of governor kind of folks. And at least Ahab kind of ways, right? Not by my assessment, but even by the Bible's assessment of you, you church people. You know how the New Testament characterizes church people and believers and those who would make up a congregation like right here? 
regardless of what awards you have on your wall or what degrees you have or how successful you are. All in all, the apostle summarizes us by saying, the apostle Paul in the New Testament summarizes us by saying this. For consider your calling, brothers, just like the prophet called Ahab in Israel. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, people that ain't all that, right, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In fact, it gets worse. The Bible rats us out and goes on to say, see, we don't talk about this, right? We don't wear the church shirts with this verse on it, right? We ain't wise. We the foolish ones God use. Weak person, weak person running around, yay, glory to God. We don't have those t-shirts. We don't have those bumper stickers, right? We don't have the bumper stickers with the thumb going down. <laughs> but maybe the finger pointing up, right? In fact, the Bible rats us out and goes on to say, God's people, church people, save people, save people, right? Save, fill with the Holy Ghost, all that kind of stuff, Right? should not be deceived about their own histories. Oh. The Apostle Paul taught that church people on the average have all been and have struggled in the recent past being sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, manipulators, and users of people, and greedy, and drunkards, and revelers, wild and out of control, swindlers, or been damaged by someone else like that, mistreating or abusing you. You are the kind of people who should fall short in being the kind of people God would do anything through or with. Everyone comes into this God thing and world with all sorts of personal limitations. Historically, right? Socially, physically. Some of us have no swag, right? You don't look that good. You ain't cool. You don't know how to dress, right? You don't have what the world looks and say, yeah, right? The Bible has good news that somehow Though you might be limited in your call by God, for whatever reason, to be a wife, a mother, especially today a mother, right? To be a community changer, to take responsibility and go to war for the poor and oppressed, that God the Lord is not limited to be able to make and do things that accomplish his plans and kingdom through and in you. Verse 19 says this is what happened and what a limit, limitless God does through people with personal and historical limitations. Look at verse 19. So these, right, the, 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 the limited people of Israel, went out of the city, the servants of the governors of the districts and the army that followed them, and each struck down his man. The Syrians fled and Israel pursued them. But Ben-Hadad, king of Israel, escaped on a horse on a horse with horsemen and the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots and struck the Syrians with a great blow the victory the victory they had back then shows that God's spirit works and in and through and despite what we can't bring and do bring to the table in doing and being what God would have us to do and be 
in all kinds of circumstances in life. I am just going to use this one for Mother's Day and honor you mothers or those with mothers, right? I know how it is for my wife that sometimes she's the mother of three kids. Three. No, you see? With me being the oldest, with some of my mental and floppiness and foolishness and poutiness, she's burdened down by three men, right? She, like many of you in here and like many of your mothers, is called by God to love, to share, to feed, to clothe, to clean up with, to direct, to clean up again after directing the cleanup, to follow up and see whether they were listening and actually heard her, and then to work in the house and for the family and some of you outside the house and outside the family and emotionally hold everything together, and then look good for herself and for others on top of that, and then to be a godly person who is struggling with sin too. There is just an unlimited amount of demands and callings for a woman, for any of you women, and many of you who are mothers to fulfill, and many of you must get, get up and look at your day and world, you must look at your world like Ahab did, carrying all of your broken history too, and the impossible demands and say, by whom, me, Lord? No way, not again, not this time, right? Not this thing. I ain't equipped for that. Yes, I went to the women's Bible study this week. I still ain't equipped with that. Yes, I had a little prayer time. I still don't feel equipped. I don't know how my mom, now my own wife accomplishes, and some of you women, the near impossible, even when she can't possibly do and be at all. Actually, I do have a clue, right? You mothers and women who are not mothers even, you are called by God and then have a limitless God limitless in power and grace and mercy at work in you to strike a blow, a God-glorifying blow to this world through you in ways that would be impossible without him. But not only strike, strike a blow in performance, it's easy to get caught up in that, but to give you, a, give you breathing room by grace and mercy when you can't perform well, he performs for you. And that would be true not only for mothers, right? But being a brother, a father, a neighbor, a sister, a church person like you, sh like you should be is way too much for the limits I know you have that, that, won't, that you won't even admit. Some of you are too non-confrontation. You're wimpy. You don't have skills leadership-wise. And everybody looking at you to be the leader, right? Some of us men have no rap, right? Oh, nobody want to say amen to that one. I know y'all. Somehow, ain't no romantic or emotional moves. You're schematically limited. Tired and unprepared to win a woman's and some of our own wives' right and good trust and affection. Some of us have lost that fire emotionally and physically, guys. But the Lord is unlimited in how he can use whoever and whatever to influence and love and change our world towards his will and our good. But sometimes things seem too impossible around us and against us, out in the world. But we see, but what we see is that the Lord is also not limited, is also not limited only by our limitations. He is not limited 
by the world's impressive power. Take another look at this passage. So Ahab and the Israelites have won round one. But, but look at what it says in verse 22. Then the prophet, after saying, go out and fight, came near the king of Israel and said to him, come, strengthen yourself and consider well what you have to do. For in the spring, the king of Syria will come up against you again, right? And the servants of the king of Israel, the king of Syria said to, to Ben-Hadad, their gods are gods of the hills. And so they were stronger, stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than, stronger than they. And do this, remove the kings each from his post and put commanders in their places and muster an army like the army you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain and surely we shall be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. In the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up, again, went up to Aphek to, to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered and were, were provisioned and went against them. The people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Syrians filled the country. Two things that were clear from a worldly logistical standpoint to Ben-Hadad and the Syrians. Right? After our first loss, we will not trust that Israel will be weak enough or their shortcomings will put them in our hands. This time, it will be Ben-Hadad and his Syrian sheer strength and power. So Ben-Hadad's military and religious cabinet made a great assumption. That made sense, ancient Middle East pagan kind of sense and logic. They reasoned that all of Israel's sacrifices were done and their God's temple sat on a hill and, so, and they lost on a hill, right? And so if he is like our Syrian gods, they thought, where location is everything, we have more power away from the hills and they have less where we tried to besiege them and lost and more power, we have more power down here in the plains. Their God can't help them here, but even if it weren't a theological reason. It just makes sense that they could win better in the plains because of their size and massive force with chariots and horses against their farm tools, many of them. That if we just, they thought, if we just lined up and played old school, non-spread formation war, if we just go straight wrestling, right, as they used to say, or, or straight drag race on them, no turns, no curves, no agility, our horsepower would just do them in. No more agility stuff with hills and rocks and places to hide and ambushes, ambushes and all that. Let's just go straight power. And look how this thing appears in that setup, straight power. The Bible is just honest here in verse 27, isn't it? Israel army looks like what? Two little flocks of goats. And the word for goat here is not goat like tar heel ram goat, right? I don't even know how it came like that. We don't need to know the history right now. But she goat, no horns, the, the ones, but we're talking about the the, the ghosts without protection, the ones you be, to be used and abused, the ones you take for, for milk, right? For all they have. And the Bible says on the other side of the valley were the Syrians who filled the countryside. It was clear 
who was a hunted and who was a hunter. It was clear who was the meal and who's going to eat, right? It was clear from the sheer power gradient that Syria had power on their side. Powerful people in that valley and powerful places and positions to rule, to oppress, to destroy, to take over, to control, to have privilege over, to gentrify, to crush, to abuse, to use, to occupy, to out on reservations, to classify, to enslave, to outpopulate, to out affluence, people of power in positions and places of power. This was so obvious and true to the Syrians, just as obvious and true as it is in our world today, that folks begin to think on either side of the power struggle that not even God could reach in and change or make a difference or impact or break the cycle or bring reparation and justice and hope and infiltrate and expose and overcome this or that institution or ism or schism or problem or disease or evil empire or addiction or, or machine or crazy method. But this is the world we live in, isn't it? Our world and culture and ethnic groups and histories and families and neighborhoods and cities and political systems and, and, and bodies and minds and media and computers and society is filled like the Syrians were on the countryside with destructive forces, with insurmountable, historically immovable impossibilities that the Lord has called people who are in the church to be committed, mustered, as the Bible says here, committed and commissioned to go to war and go to mission against impossible powers like poverty and sexism, and racism, and satanic forces, and all kind of historical abuses, and brokenness that you guys have way deep inside that are unseen all over the place in contrast to all sorts of people and places with mega swag, right, who come to eat and take over. Those are the kind of folk and places God has called his people to stand with and against. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look out at the world. That time, like last September, when the protests happened in Charlotte after all the shootings that year. I mean, just personally, right? Like, like the non, you know, informed by my faith Howard sometimes, right? Where I just kind of slide from under it and look without looking through the glasses of God's grace, Right? I'm like, ain't no way. This country ain't going to get better. This city that's going to cover it up, it's going to get worse. It's going to fester underneath. Here we go. Sometimes I look at the world and your lives in the city and watch the news and I say, it's too filled with devils and traps and evil people. The history's too hard, especially in a city like Charlotte in the South. It's too much. The power and the money's already settled, y'all. The, the percentages haven't changed in years. With power and influence and affluence and influence, I can't help but think as I look at that things are, are, aren't ever going to get any better for women, for children, for the poor, for my own greedy heart, because I want to have something too. For our addictions that some of us are dealing with, with the looming separation and divorce or emptiness that some of our relationships and marriages are dealing with, right? There's no hope for sex trafficking and pornography. It's got us and our kids before it's even done. 
Man, I look at this world, it and they are so well-resourced. Things are so entrenched and established and untouchable and unbeatable. When I look and I think about the, think about you guys, us, people like you and me, with some of our histories and our intimidations and defeats we've suffered, we ain't, it don't look like we're going to be able to beat nothing. We're going to get eaten alive, right? We better be careful those things don't kill and consume us and overtake us, much less we being a people in church on mission. We are the sheep, the goats. We are the food. We are for the taking in this power thing. It's our communities that seem to be taken down. It's our children fighting for their lives. It's our relationships that take a beating sometimes. And the Lord is calling us to stand and even infiltrate and influence and be about his change in a world like that. Look at verse 28. And a man of God came near and said to the king, thus says the Lord. Because the Syrians have said the Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not the God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite one another seven days. Then on the seventh day, the battle was joined, and the people of Israel struck down the Syrians, 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. And the rest fled into the city of Aphek, and the wall fell upon 27,000 men who were left, and Ben-Hadad fled too. What happened to Syrians' power? What happened to the people in positions of power? I'll tell you what happened. They Face a Lord who was not limited by their show of power, by their place, by their people, by their might, by their huffing and puffing, by their type A hanger, hunger rather, by their belief that they had it all figured out. They thought God is nowhere to be found on Wall Street or their street or hasn't stopped them yet. But the Lord had all authority and power wherever they were. The Lord. When he is ready to have and call us to roll, contrary to how it might seem or look, the Lord is not limited by the world's power and politics, and so neither are those whom he calls to go out into it. Neither are you to live in it, to live out your love for and from the Lord out loud, right in front of it, to be sheepish. Right? That means acting like you have not, not that you don't have a care in the world. We have plenty of cares. But being a goat, a sheep in this kind of world means you believe you have someone who cares for you and will take care of the world that he has called you to go out in while you continue to be in the herd. And lately, when I think about all that's going in this country socially, and now from what Kelly shared with me, uh, the other day, that some versions of the health care plan, and I'm not talking about which one's bad. I ain't getting into politics here. It's all bad until we get to heaven and he wipes every tear and heals our bodies, right? Won't have to pay for that. Jesus already did. You don't have to go online and marketplace. He already did it. There's no glitches. We need some Jesus care, all right? I'm looking forward to that ride on King Jesus. We need, we're going to get the health care in heaven one day. And I think it's good that we work hard to try to get it as close to his health care as possible. So I'm not getting into politics. 
because I, I, they, they could redo the health care system probably a million times, and then Jesus come back and be like, look, that ain't the right one. I don't need a vote. There you go. <laughs> but she was telling me one of the current versions may, may have, uh, just dropping this on Mother's Day, it will make what women have just by being women. Stuff like pregnancy and hormone issues and menopause and pre, make those things pre-existing conditions to the tune of being 495% more expensive for them to get health care. How are we going to deal with that, man? What you going to do? How are we going to get through that or handle that, right? We're, we're kind of waiting for Jesus' care. I agree. Now, we may not have enough lobby money or possibly not the right candidate. Or maybe it just can't get better right now because things are so jammed up with political pork. I don't know. Stuff like this requires us to win like sheep who are called by God without so much of the world's power politically and go in and as God calls us to speak, to make a difference, to find a way to make this thing work through him, right? And there be, may be some ways that you don't even know about. I love this passage, right? They, they beat 100,000. Okay, that was normal. You expect that. But they went into a city and a wall fell on 27,000. What? Who knew that wall was shaky, right? We don't know how God's going to do it. But your job is to be sheep, <laughs> to follow him. True, the Syrians were more powerful than the Israelites on the plain, than the hills in, in the valley instead of the mountains. But they failed to realize that the Lord, the God of the Bible, has limitless authority over this whole world. On the mountain and in the valley. And wherever his goat-ish people might live and go. Unlike how the world might have worked, Ben-Hadad and the Syrians came in contact not with the Lord or God of the hills or mountains and a group of easy-to-get-to goats sitting in plain sight, but they happened upon the Lord of lords and king of kings of the whole world who happens to also be the Lord and king and God of the goats. And we should know that the Lord of the Bible is the God who the Bible says we should look to the hills and the mountain to as a God who is our help. But as the most famous psalm says in Psalm 23, you can also look to him as the shepherd who walks in the valley of the shadow of death with you too. In other words, God's people can't go or be anywhere where God is not in full authority in this world. And that is anywhere and everywhere against anything. There is never any place or any position near or under or before or any person of power where God's power for his purposes through his people can be limited. And so it doesn't matter where you are, up or down, high or low, under or on top of. Hear this warning and hear this hope. Whichever place you might think you rule 
or might be enslaved to, the God of the Bible, God the Holy Spirit, is the Lord of this world and not in a box and not, a, and not stopped at the gate because he doesn't have a pass there or can't go backstage or to the top floor because he don't have the right key or he is stuck being powerful only on Sunday morning in a church building or in a Bible or Bible study or prayer time, trapped or limited to just being a thought, a study, a theme, a moral, a hope, some kind of prayer somewhere. It can't leave it in the ordinary world of extreme oppression and opposition. He is a person, the divine, all-powerful person who is omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and all things and people are inescapable from him and what he wants to do or not do. We see this picture in verse 27. Israel looked like two little flocks of goats. <laughs> it should have been a scary sight to Ben Hadad and Assyrians. Two little flocks of goats. Because being the people of God, it meant this. They had heard and received the words of God for their limitations. And that the life, love, and power of God was with them. What verse 27 calls provisions. And we see these provisions in part each time they went into battle. Verse 13 and then in verse 22. And then again in verse 28 if you want to look at it quickly. It was always the word of God. Right? The voice and leading of the Lord that defined and led them despite their limitations and the powers they faced. But along with the word being there, if they are herded up battle gathered by God's word it meant that the shepherd himself was there not only his voice but his powerful presence those limited people who looked like a herd of vulnerable she goats that day were standing under the word and presence of God's limitless authority when you become a child of God and I hope more of you would, would today <laughs> wherever you might be, how weak a position you might find yourself in, or how powerful the forces around you might be, you no longer have your own limited sense of authority over your own life. Did you know that? You are a goat. Yes, that's good today. If someone else call you a goat, slap them. But goat is good today. Which means your word and your history and your limitations and the world's powers around you are not the determining factor. Your life is no longer ordered or determined by your limitations or your broken history or your weaknesses or your vulnerabilities or your insecurities, who your mom and daddy are or work or your bank account and what it looks like or, or like Miss Seeley said in the Color Purple movie, right? Whether you're black, ugly, a woman, none of that has ultimate authority over you because not only are you here, but he, the Lord, is here. And his word and powerful work of God concerning you is here with you. What the Lord has promised in doing, what he's calling out to you as the shepherd, calling out to you, and how he's made himself seen and known in your life is the determining factor. So Syrians and Israelites learned, and I hope we do, it is better to be a goat than to try to be the capital G-O-A-T. The greatest of all times, right? 
The millennials came up with that one, right? I think. When the Lord alone is the capital G, capital O, capital A, capital T. Be a goat. Small letters. Be those who look to the limitless love of God to keep us, to be our shepherd, to be our shield, to be our savior through impossible situations, circumstances that we face in this world. Stop trying to be the capital G-O-A-T in your relationships and on your job and in being a mother today. Or community activist is going to transform the community and become a small goat who is engaging and facing their marriages and relationships and family and children and community and mothers and fathers in the herd and flock of God. You see... This she-goat-herd-flock thing is not a description of their weakness. This is a description of the unlimited life that people who are like goats have because of their Lord. See, Ben Adad's advisors turned out to be dead wrong. And the belief that the God of the Bible is just good and powerful for his people in the mountains and the hills and not the valleys. God's goats... God's sheep, God's herd, God's flock, God's people lived in God's unlimited life and power on the mountain and the valley and everyone in between. Because the Lord had no limits in being their Lord, shepherd, and savior. And do, do you know who the Bible calls the great shepherd of God's sheep? His son, Jesus Christ. Do you know how Jesus became the Lord and shepherd of the goats? He became a goat, <laughs> didn't he? A scapegoat for our limitations. Before this world's evil powers, he came like a lamb led to slaughter by living in the plains and valleys of our earthly existence. And then he allowed himself to be led like a lamb, listening to and following God the Father's plan, right? That he died for us sinners, and the Lamb of God beat sin, death, and the world's power. And the goat not only became the capital G-O-A-T, but the shepherd of unlimited power and life for goats like you and me on the mountain and in the valley. Stop living outside the herd. Stop living like you are the Greatest of all times, you got a shepherd with limitless power for you in this word, world with all authority in his hands for our good. The Lord Jesus gives and is the unlimited life of goats for people like you and me in this world. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. You're with us, and that makes all the difference. You speak to us, and that makes all the difference. We are all clouded and confused by what we think's right, our own politics, what we think's strong or not strong. We're all confused, thinking we got it. And Lord, when we look out, we have all kinds of limitations. But you're the Lord. You're our shepherd. Your voice is with your people. Help us to hear it. Help us to follow it. Whether we're on the mountain today or way down in a dark valley, you're with us. This we pray. Lord, we also pray, rather, for those who are not in any kind of flock, no kind of herd. No, they, they have no shepherd. 
They have no identity. They have no hope in the world right now. Bring them into the, into the fold, Lord. Let Jesus, let them hear Christ's voice. The Bible says there's two things that make a sheep. The sheep hear his voice. And the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Lord, I pray that the folk would hear your voice and then believe the gospel that Christ came to die for their sins. Remind those of us who've been walking with you for a while and forgot. We've been out there trying to be the greatest of all time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.